0: Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series,
1: we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening.
0: Gemma, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to have you as a guest on the show. So it will be great. To begin, perhaps, maybe by just hearing a little bit about your background and and how you got started within customer success.
2: Absolutely. And thank you, Dan and Alex, for having me on. Um, So, yeah, my background I've spent around the last nine years working in customer success for marketing tech companies. Um, All of them have been SaaS based marketing tech companies as well. The last five of those years have been with Decibel. Which is a software company that focuses on driving better digital experiences and at Decibel I joined um, in London and then after a couple of years working in the London office was able to move to Boston and set up our team here in the US um, and in that time we've grown grown from you know a very small startup in the UK to a um, quite well-known uh, scale-up, you could say. I think our total funding to date is 54 million. And we're working with 250 of the largest enterprise brands from companies like Lego, uh, Fidelity, Adidas, Sony. So really big, well-known names. Um, probably hired and, and worked with over 30 CS professionals now by this point. So um, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate to work with different people and those people have been not just from uh, Europe, but also from North America where I'm based.
0: Amazing. And it sounds as well like it's been quite an exciting journey so far, especially from um, obviously being at Decibel for the last five years and, and being part of the, the growth there that you just talked about. Um, so what have been probably some of the biggest challenges actually in terms of like scaling a customer success team uh, in a company like Decibel as, as you've grown?
2: Yeah, so I mean, working in any startup is a bit of a roller coaster. There's there's a lot of highs um, and a lot of lows along the way. Um, I think the big challenge was being able to overcome the the concept of you know hiring the all in one account manager. So you can find people who are brilliant at doing everything for your customer, like selling to them, renewing them. Uh, building the relationship, driving advocacy, training them, providing any technical services, providing any, you know, subject matter expert services like analysis and so forth. But it's really hard to scale a team looking for that special um, all-in-one package. So, um, that, that was a challenge and something that we were able to overcome by putting a lot of specializations into the team. So finding out what people are really, really good at, you know, if teaching is their passion and their strength, let's take that to the max rather than expect them to teach and sell and renew and everything else. So coming to the, the concept of specializations, putting those into the team just allowed us to scale a lot faster and it also allowed us to overcome the challenge that you get when you're running a global team which is having a, um, a similar service no matter where the customer subscribes to. So operationally it's a lot better if you can service your customers through specializations rather than giving them a different experience based on the customer success manager that they have. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a very good point, actually, because um, I, suppose, I suppose the challenge is sometimes, like you say, if you're trying to do absolutely everything because of CSM, it can make you fairly reactive as well, because you can have like,
2: oh, totally.
0: support queries coming through, then you've got to do training sessions, then you've got to do that proactive element to start talking about the renewal. Um, so how has that been structured then? Is there any particular specializations that have kind of stood out as being the critical parts of, of building a CS team?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we focus our specializations around the life cycle of the customer. So who's going to help them at the pre-purchase stage? Who's going to help them most during the onboarding time? Who's going to help them during the stage to drive adoption? Who's going to help them at the stage where we need to prove value and expand the account? Um, So what that looks like for us is we start out with a success planner, and this is someone whose sole responsibility is to work with our sales team and give customers at the pre-purchase stage a really, really clear understanding of who in their team needs to work with us, what those people will need to do, the amount of hours and tasks that they'll need to put in to be successful according to their Business requirements. So, like one of the things I hate is when a CSM can't explain why a customer had purchased software, right? But it happens because, you know, we live in a busy world and everybody's moving really quickly. So, a success plan basically details all of that and details it for the customer before they even join us. So, we can then remind them of those reasons and we can iterate on that plan as we go through our cadence with them of having executive business reviews and so forth so it's um, a really powerful uh document that we collaborate with our customers on but it starts with that success planner coming in and creating it for the customer and then handing that over to the customer success manager at the purchase stage so that's like a a very unique role we have in Um, but it's incredibly helpful for the CS team for the, you know, the reasons Mm -hmm. given it's also massively helped improve our deal velocity because a big organization like Lego coming to a scale up like decibel is going to want to know that they have a team who knows what they're doing on their hands. Right? So by giving them this, this information, we're de-risking the decision for them to join us. It's less of a risk to join us if you know what's coming up next. Um, So that's one example of specialization that we have uh, at the pre-purchase, purchase purchase stage. When it comes to onboarding, we have an education services team who are there to primarily help drive the adoption of the product. So this is a team of specialized teachers, people with teaching experience. They are project-based. They work on different customer projects, depending on what's been subscribed to by the customer. And they're measured based on real adoption scores, as opposed to just retention and and growth rates. Um, Another piece that helps out with the adoption portion of Decibel is our digital experience analysts. Um, So these these guys provide insight services so they will use our product on behalf of our customers. And this is really helpful at the early stages of adoption when the customer isn't quite sure um, or doesn't quite have the internal education to use the product to its fullest extent. But it's also helpful for customers when they have resource issues on their end. So think of COVID right now, but a lot of customers who have had to either cut down their team's working hours or furlough their staff, um, we're able to come in and, and allow them to continue to use the software through our own analysts, our in-house experts. Um, So it can help with adoption at the start, but can also help pick up adoption when there's that kind of gap in in resource. And then beyond that, we have the teams uh, who really focus on proving value. And for me, customer success is all about proving value, Um, proving value for your customer and proving value for the business that you work for. At the same time and our customer success managers and customer success directors that's what they relentlessly focus on so um, that piece is is a constant piece you could say in the customer life cycle but for us we really push on proving the value through showing an roi um, once the customer's gone through onboarding and adoption and has kind of got into their stride of you know executive business reviews looking at what they've been able to achieve and and um, what we can innovate on together.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a really great model. And, you know, just as you're explaining that, there's some really clear and definitive roles and responsibilities in terms of yeah, who is picking up what. Um one one question I would have is um for for people that are maybe listening and considering whether they could apply that to their company, would you say that this is potentially something that is more applicable to um, SaaS companies that maybe have more complex uh, software solutions or would you say that you can potentially still implement this to all types of um, of SaaS? Yeah, that's
2: a that's a that's a great question Alex because definitely our model is enterprise and that's where my uh, My experience is I've, I've always in the last five, nine years worked with mid-market to enterprise customers um, So it is a, a high-touch model um, It is not cheap <laughs> but it does generate a lot of revenue and more so it protects a lot of revenue, which Mm -hmm. is very important um, when when you're working with the enterprise. I think specializations still have a place in the emerging kind of low touch arena, Um, but obviously you can employ a lot more one to many techniques. So you might have the education services, specialization arm, In an emerging framework delivered through having a really hot knowledge base um, with a really hot LMS and learning paths set up in there so whilst it might not be a person delivering it you have that specialized function available on a one-to-many basis what's really cool about the one-to-many stuff is that you build that for an emerging company it's just as useful for an enterprise company So we actually also employ a lot of one-to-many techniques. It's just that we don't just do that. We have the professionals on top of that service as well.
1: And then um, just, I guess, alongside that, in terms of having a lot of different teams as potential touch points, Mm -hmm. how do you ensure that all these teams are most effectively working together and that there is constant collaboration? Like, um, is it the the CSM or the, the CS director, they are still the one that, Um, owns the overall relationship and then they are the one that is sort of touching base with each of these different teams along the the life cycle?
2: Yeah, so um, the CSMs and the customer success directors who are effectively the same thing as a CSM, just looking after a smaller portion of higher spending customers, they own the relationship. They're the dedicated point of contact, right? It's their job to bring in different people at different stages for their customer. With respect to how we drive collaboration, a lot of that is through coming together as a global team and talking about our wins and our learns and innovating new ways that we could refine the products that we're delivering from the professional services arm. That's really important to us. We don't just do that internally within CS. We are very, very close to our customer support team as well. So we um, have recently just started coming together with them on a quarterly basis, to go through uh, things that we collaborate on, such as we, we did a whole day around customer onboarding last week, and it went really, really well. Um, but I just think, as a leader, you want to ensure that you are constantly bringing people together, and taking a day out to do it, not just expecting it to happen naturally through Slack. You know, you have to drive that as well, and keep the digital door always open as I like to say, but um, you've got to make space for people to come together and to be creative together. And something I strongly believe in is that the people closest to the problem know how to solve it. It's your job as a leader to bring people together to make that that, uh, solution uh, come into play.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And then, I mean, what I, what I firstly like about that whole structure and setup is that it really seems to adopt a culture of customer success across the organization, as opposed to it just being one, one kind of team. It feels like it's yeah. really um, aligned ac- across the business. Is that something that you've, you've kind of drove in terms of like showcasing the value of being customer-centric um, internally to build that out? Yeah, I mean, I have to
2: admit, I work in a company that provides a form of customer experience, right? we focus on digital experience, but it's it's very closely related to the holistic customer experience. So I'm already coming from an angle where my C-suite and my peers, they know the value of great experiences. Um, I've never felt like I've had to prove CS. You know, it doesn't feel like an art project. And I know that can, it can feel like that in, in other companies, depending on the products. Um, I've not had that challenge. What I will say is, where I've spent a lot of time in getting the right culture is in ensuring that everybody understands the customer doesn't belong to the CSM or the CSD, right? They're targeted on retention, obviously, but the customer belongs to the business. And when we lose the customer, it's the business losing the customer. When we win the customer, it's the business winning the customer. So it seems really basic, but I think a lot of CS teams can feel like very native, like this is my customer and I'm going to be the real difference as to why they stay or why they leave. And oftentimes, yeah, you, you, you do make a big difference, but it's your job to continually communicate back to the business what's going to be required to keep that customer. It's not just you putting in weekends and you know, evenings to do the work for your customer, you have to make sure that you are bringing back to the business the recommendations on how to improve. Um, and the business also has to do the same thing, right? So when we look at the reasons why we lose customers, we, we go into detail and we, run those, and we run that analysis across the whole business. It doesn't stay within the CS team. And equally, when we win customers, we talk about the reasons why we're winning them. And that doesn't stay within sales, that goes across the whole business. So it's that idea of no one owning the customer, the business owning the customer and the customer being the business's biggest asset, right? You take care of your biggest asset, you're going to earn the right to grow and it's gonna be an organic right to grow and it's gonna be sustainable. It's not gonna be a one-off piece that will fall down and the software will be sitting on the shelf
0: yeah brilliant that's um a, certainly a great philosophy and um i think it's, it, it's similar as well to even just sometimes putting yourself in your customer's shoes and almost thinking like how would they want the experience to be and a lot of companies definitely do think of that probably from a more internal point of view like what do we think is best for our team or when deciding which accounts sit with which account manager or, or when Perhaps maybe, and you know, somebody from the business gets involved on a particular account. It's probably thinking more from the customer's perspective as to as to what's best for them. Um, so uh, yeah, really like that. Really like that philosophy.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think you know what is very powerful in in any C suite is to have a real view of the customer. And there's you know the standard ways to manage it through like voice of customer programs, MPS feedback, that kind of stuff. But there's so much power in bringing your customers together. So, you know, for any person in CS who is challenging, it feels like they're challenged to prove the value of CS, put your customers in the same room as your C-suite and get them to talk. Like maybe it starts out with a beta program and it ends up with a customer advisory board. Or maybe it's just a user conference, but it could end up with a you know huge event opportunity that you end up inviting partners to, but um just bringing customers together is um I think very very powerful.
0: Definitely, um, and I suppose going into the different types of customers that you work with, how do you segment them across the customer success managers? Is it based on like a vertical, a tier structure?
2: Yeah, so a bit of both honestly um I'm a big fan of verticals because when I hire people as CSM CSDs I'm looking for people who I think my customers could employ so you could be in the CSM or CSD role and you could be really good and continue to do it or another career route for you could be to go and work for a customer of ours one day you know I think that's how I like to present it so're hiring people based on based on that view it's helpful to give them verticals because then you can help them become subject matter experts and it just makes your job a lot easier if you have experience working in, inside that industry um, that said the spend is very important for us as well so for the higher spending customers we'll give them a customer success director who is more experienced in running that multi-brand, multi-geo approach, which very often is like having a set of a ton of small customers under one umbrella. Um, Whereas the CSMs have a a blend of accounts, um, but they can also have accounts where there's more task-driven responses required. Um, so spend and vertical are big pieces for us. What I'd like to move towards in 2021 is taking into account total addressable market more. So total addressable market being, how could your customer grow? Like what's the maximum that you could grow them to? And that could be based on, you know, product licenses subscribed to it could in our industry, it's based on page views. Cause that's a big part of our pricing module. We also look at the number of employees that a customer has, because that could be our user license list. Um, We look at the revenue that they're making based on what they're spending as well. So we, um, we know what indicators there are around growth accounts. I want to create a score that encompasses all of those indicators, and I want to map that against spend. So that will leave behind four tiers of customers, The ones in tier one who spend a lot and have a lot of room to grow. The tier twos who don't spend a lot but have a lot of room to grow. The tier threes who um, spend a good amount but don't have much room to grow and the tier fours who don't spend much and don't have room to grow. So in this way, what we'll be able to do is say, okay, how do I now turn my tier twos into my tier ones? How do I keep my tier threes happy where they are, given that they can't really grow too much, but they've got a good spend? Um, so that's how I'm asking the team to think about spending their time with their customers. I'd like to operationalize that a bit more with some scoring systems in place. But um what I'm very, very, very keen on avoiding is selling CS as a tiered package to customers, because for me that completely removes the point of cs which is to be able to prove value right (laughs) um so i know a lot of uh, cs programs will say you know you're at this tier one stage so we're going to give you this much support and this many hours like that for me is professional services
1: and is that um i guess this is where you bring in things like the success planners is that where they become a real key part in this because they're, they're potentially the ones that are identifying which tier that client should be in based on, um, you know, what what they're purchasing access to, what their goals are, what they're looking to achieve, linking it back to what you said right at the start as well. How does that company make money and what are the reasons that they bought the software? And I guess they are the yeah. key ones that then define what tier they'll, they'll go into.
2: Yeah, totally. I think the success planner will help point out where professional services will be needed based on the scope. Um, of the of the relationship but um, I, I just feel like a lot of a lot of CS programs will penalize the CSMs or the CSDs if they go over a certain allotment of meeting or hours or calls and for me that's just completely backwards like no you need to help this team do what they need do what they can to renew their customers they know how to deal with the issue empower them to proactively fix the experience before you lose the pulse of the customer. I don't want to be bought in to a a conversation with a customer that's already lost their pulse and be like, "Mm, if we give you this extra stuff, would you have stayed with us? That call should have been made way before it's come to that conversation with me. So I like to give my CSMs and CSDs as much flexibility as to how they want to set their cadence with their customer obviously there's standards and if they're below the standard then that's a point of convers- of you know conversation on their check-ins like what's going on here why are not engaging as much with these guys um but um i just think it's very important when you when you set out playbooks and, and cadences to your customers to recognize that you want a process but you have to allow that process to bend
1: yeah for sure and in terms of measurement and, and stuff like that, then, so you've already mentioned, um, I think when you were talking about like the education services team, that they mm. would have like clear set adoption based metrics, yeah. uh, but it would be good to hear, um, I guess, how the metrics are developing through that life cycle. So for example, what is a success planner uh, more targeted on how does that then change mm-hmm. to the adoption stage? And then I guess for a CSM, it's more um, sort of renewal based, but it'd be good to see what the main differences are
2: yeah so the the main umbrella for everybody is the retention rate and for us we focus on the um the gross retention rather than the net retention
1: mm-hmm.
2: right um you, you guys know what that means but the, the gross retention basically doesn't include the upsell piece whereas the net you can fill up for anything you've lost with upsell. Mm-hmm. so we focus on the gross retention rate and that is set across the team at a global level so everybody is compensated based on the business hitting our gross retention targets. Now with respect to the CSMs and CSDs, they have a higher compensation based on that piece. Um, whereas our success planners, um, our analysts, our trainers, they, um, they're measured more against, you know, survey feedback from the customer, more transactional kind of measurements, but they're not necessarily compensated on that because, that is their job. they're not held to retention targets um, as much as the csm csds
0: brilliant. Um, so I guess probably kind of around that that measurement aspect with regards to the kind of growth and net retention do like how does that work in terms of the the growth target so does that sit with c s or does that sit with like an a e for example, that is then brought in to work alongside the yeah, the CSM or CSD.
2: Yeah, so we've toyed with lots of um, different conversation plans. What we have right now works really, really well. And it's basically a blend of what you've described. So the biggest portion of the CS, CSM or CSD's compensation is based on that gross retention number. But there is a, a 30% portion that is based on upsell that they generate within their own existing customers. Now the way we manage upsell is we include the AEs, the sales reps, in every upsell deal, so that they are working with us and and so that they can be a constant in the customer relationship. Um, so we compensate the CSMs, but they don't do anything without sales alignment effectively. And establishing those rules of engagement has been like a huge game changer. I can't. I can't say like how many other peers I talk to who have trouble working with sales or you know, they feel like sales are throwing over grenades to them um, or they feel like, um, you know, sales are being compensated for things that they haven't really worked on. I think we've struck a really, really good um, relationship between our sales and, and CS teams by just having very, very clear rules of engagement. You know, don't, don't offer something to a customer without checking with your CSM or without checking with your sales rep. It's very simple but extremely effective. And then on the compensation piece, we ensure that there is, you know, benefit to both to do what's right for the business, which is keep as many customers as we can, win as many customers as we can, and grow as many customers as we can.
1: Yeah, I guess it goes back to what you said before that everyone is uh, targeted on what's best for the customer and and just sort of taking that back to you know based on those rules of engagement as long as the outcome benefits the customer then that's the best way of doing things
2: yeah yeah totally
0: I think as well what I just like about that is it almost just lets the customer success team focus on what they're good at for the majority of the time which is like you say driving value and then organically you will have opportunities arise which you can identify and then bring in um, sales to to kind of support with that and, and drive it Uh, drive over the line so I think that's yeah really really great setup.
2: yeah thank you I think it works well Um, but we do you know we hire really good people that also helps so um, one of our customers said to me something really special that stuck with me and he was like I love working with you guys because you guys hire dolphins you never have any sharks (laughs)
0: love that (laughs) that's brilliant
2: yeah that's so true um
0: i guess kind of on sorry i was gonna say kind of on that are there any particular skills or qualities that you look for um especially probably more so at like a csms uh csd level
2: Mm. yeah so at a at a hiring level you know i i take a lot of time quite an in-depth um interview process and it's it's there for a reason because When we do hire people, we want to hire people that we think our customers would want to hire. But we also want to hire people who are going to push the business forward right, and and give us new ideas and and help us improve the way that we're working. Um, So I like to focus a lot on competencies rather than experience when I'm hiring people. And particularly in the CSD and CSM roles, I'm looking for signs that they are empathetic. And that's, by the way, not to be confused with being sympathetic. So you could be empathetic and still be, you know, pretty down to business and, and hold your performance numbers really well um, without having to be like super soft and and um, you know put the knees of your company out the window when when the going gets tough. So empathy um, is is a really big thing. I would say being conscientious as well. Um, is super important. Enjoying and getting satisfaction from helping others is way up there. And that's not just in helping customers and enjoying helping customers. You know, like I think Adobe always say you want to try and get your customers promoted in the time that they work with you, which is which is great. But what about your colleagues? Have you helped colleagues that you work with? Would the colleagues that you've worked with previously want to work with you again? Mm -hmm. Like you two together, like it's a good sign. Um, so yeah, I, I really focus on, on hiring for those competencies and I, I, I spend a lot of time asking for scenarios that go beyond just like the skills and specializations that you need to know within CS because all of that stuff can be learned.
1: Awesome. Uh, one of the things we did want to ask you about is how all of this that we've been speaking about is being impacted by uh, COVID. So from a engaging with clients perspective, um, it would also be interesting to hear as well. You've spoken a lot around like collaborating as teams, obviously mm-hmm. um, you managing a, a global team and you also have people in that team that manage global uh, customers. So how, how have you seen that that's been impacting the management of that and um, how, are you, how are you guys sort of approaching that in terms of, you know, maintaining collaboration?
2: Yes, I mean, look, COVID has thrown everybody off. Um, so it's been a very, a very creative period for us in terms of how we have adapted our standard approaches to renewals. Um, what I've driven throughout the team is a focus on logo retention and less of a focus on ARR retention. So, you know, I don't want to put any more pressure on the team than what they're already feeling because their customers are feeling a ton of pressure. And it's, it's, um, it's unlikely that any business is going to be adverse, like, well, is, is not prone rather to the impact of COVID on the economy. So we have accepted that ARR isn't going to be the same, But what can we do to keep our foot in the door with that customer who's had a really, really challenging time, you know, particularly retail, uh, the automotive, the um, travel, hospitality and so forth. Um, Because we know for the long term, what we do now will pay back in in dividends and the partnership that we show now is going to be hugely valuable. we've been providing a lot more flexibility, starting with reassuring the team that we understand the challenges that they're in and um, going to the customers and kind of understanding, you know, what would be most helpful to them now. Maybe it's a, a financial piece that would be helpful. Maybe it's a professional service piece, like I talked about earlier, that would be most helpful to them. But really just finding a way to prove to our customers Particularly during this time, that we believe in the partnership. How can we demonstrate that? How can yeah, we amazing. That? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been like a lot of calls with uh, the different stakeholders in our business. You know, the different leaders, finance, accounting, and, and so forth. But um, we're we're keen to you know continue to provide as much flexibility as we can. To to an extent, obviously we're not a charity. We 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 do need to. Ensure that um, we we are not uh, losing out um, on um, on on hosting costs and so forth, but um, doing whatever we can to show the right flexibility and set the partnership set the partnership up for years to come.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, you know this is the kind of approach that will you know pay dividends in the future when. You know, when everyone uh, starts recovering and the economy is is going back um and everything yeah. is sort of going back to whatever this new normal is going to be that's as you say when you've proved the value throughout a time like this then they're really going to value their their partnership with you and they're going to look to you as a potentially like a go-to um provider of
0: in your case uh, you know digital um experience yeah yeah.
2: yep yeah. yep definitely
0: it's interesting just around like cs as well at the moment because i've seen so much on on linkedin around like a lot of customer success teams being cut um which which personally I, I i feel at the moment that if you if you obviously don't have to do that it's something that probably shouldn't shouldn't be done until a last result purely based on the fact that as you said what we do now is going to have such a big impact on how we're perceived in the future by our clients and and customer success plays such a big role in that, making sure that we're able to still continue that same level of service, and even more so at the moment with the added pressure that our clients are feeling. We're there to to kind of deliver that support. So,
2: yeah, yeah, it's it's been uh, a challenge, but um, it's also it's also allowed us to like really shine at certain moments through just being understanding and supportive Um, and I think we've we've definitely strengthened some relationships as a result of it which is which is great I would say the stuff that excites me about the challenge that COVID's put in place or opportunity shall we say is the fact that we no longer have this medium of face-to-face meetings with our customers which for us is super important Like we spend a lot of time flying around the world, going to meet our customers and rolling out red carpet and giving them the white glove service. So the initial shock of COVID was like, dude, how are we gonna get around this? We we can't go and see our customers. What are we gonna do to maintain that type of relationship with them? So spent a lot of time doing research and was able to come up with two pieces of technology that we've brought on that have massively helped provide that in-person experience online. Um, one of them is Reach Desk. I don't know if you've heard about them, nope. but they, so they allow you to send rewards to customers. And some of those rewards require like a home address or an office redre- address, you know, if it's an edible arrangement or, a poster of the case study that you've done with them, whatever. But they also have virtual rewards, which has been really well received by our customers. So, for instance, we have a go live day that we run with customers at the end of onboarding, and we bring cake. And sometimes we bring cookies, and sometimes the people are gluten free, we'll, we'll you know we'll, we'll improvise. But we always bring something tasty. Um, so we've now been able to convert that into reach desks virtual rewards for Uber Eats
0: that's awesome you know
2: lunch on us yeah we can also uh, use like amazon vouchers and um charitable donations as an option for people um so a lot of our meetings now uh we're able to drive participation by saying like if you participate and attend which by the way is a challenge when people are working from home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you if you if you if you participate and attend in a present like you could win something and that's been really helpful so reach desk has been a big game changer for us and is something that we'll look to keep on beyond covid the other piece is um cahoots so i don't know if you've heard of that it's used a lot for enablement it's effectively a interactive quiz that you can run powerpoints in as well and in that quiz, you, you start with a QR code that people can you know, use their mobile or cell phone to download the app. <clears throat> and then you're, presenting, you're presented with different questions along the way. So you're testing your customer as you're going. You can also run polls and you can show leaderboards as the presentation's going on. So it's hugely helpful to drive participation, particularly on training classes where we're able to do this in person and read the room and see who's engaging now we can do that virtually through cahoots yeah that's
1: awesome yeah yeah. really great idea i think that's one of the the things that i've definitely seen myself struggle with and and um, you know it seems to be across the board exactly as you say how do you firstly get people to actually join the call in the first place and then when they're on it how do you get them to pay attention rather than replying to their emails in the background so um yeah Yeah. i mean like
2: initially our cto was like Gemma, it's all about the content, which is totally true, right? You can't, you can't do these fluffy things and expect them to just make a difference if the content is crap. But -hmm. if you've got really great content, why not also be the vendor that your customer looks forward to talking to, that they'll make an extra, extra time for, that they'll introduce people to like, that's, that's what makes a difference. And that's what you can do very easily in person. Um, doing it online has been has been a a fun opportunity for
0: us absolutely love that it's definitely a challenge i've certainly had on uh, for years Um, and this actually came up um a couple of weeks ago when we we spoke to peter cohen who wrote a book called great demo on like how to deliver like yeah great training sessions demos etc and we did actually slightly get onto the topic of how we actually deal with the current situation as you say everyone is currently on, on a conference call or a screen sharing, you kind of need to engage them and keep their attention. And we didn't really touch on it in a great amount of detail. So I think that's, that's a brilliant takeaway um, in terms of how to get them on, but then also how to keep them engaged when you've got 40, 50 people on a screen share. Yeah, is, um, yeah that's great. I'm probably making a slight assumption here, but it sounds like with regards to how you're, you're currently structuring the customer success team, are you, are you looking at those kind of pain points whereby you, you know, typically in a lot of businesses, you're going to have a struggle with the handover from an AE to a CSM. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to capture why they've bought the product, for example. And then also, as you just said, around engagement on, on demos, again, that's another challenge that a lot of businesses have. Do you kind of look through those and, and recognize the pain points and then look at ways of being able to kind of fix it? Is it, Is that fair to say?
2: Oh, damn. I spend so much time looking (laughs) through different streams of data. Like, I think, um, you know, it started out just on a quarterly basis going through and looking at all of the data we had around the churned customers, right? Um, And in doing that, you're able to build a predictive churn analysis or a customer health scoring. So how many tickets did they raise? How many product features did they um, request? What was their financial status like? What was their sentiment like on NPS? Um, how many people were using the product? How often were they logging in? You know the basic stuff. You start to build up as you go, but we've really we've really doubled down on that approach of, of building a predictive churn analysis. You know, it started out years ago by running it in Excel and having a very laborious job for all of the CSMs and CSDs to go through and update the data. Um, Fast forward to what we have today. All of this is in Gainsite, and it's updated mostly automatically from our product um, platform. Mm-hmm. So from you know the NPS that we run through Gainsite um, and through any other risk indicators that the team the team will note. There's there's one aspect which is missing, which is our technical support integration piece that we're hoping to to make a difference there with bringing on Zendesk, which integrates with Gainsight as well. So yeah, we we really do obsess about the reasons for churn. And what's incredibly helpful is that not only can you then provide strong churn analysis um, to the rest of the business to ensure that we're enabling customers and, and the teams and so forth in the right way. All of the indicators to churn in the reverse format are the indicators for growth. Mm-hmm. So that's you can. Say, these are my customers at, at Green House. Like these are the ones that we should be requesting references from, inviting to speak for us, putting through our advocacy advocacy programs, identifying if there's growth opportunities. The ones at Yellow, let's understand what it's going to take to get them to green stage. The ones at Red, like do we have an action plan? What have we tried that's failed? And another piece that is kind of outside of the metrics of um of health is we'll come together and we'll talk through what we like to call success plays which are basically in this scenario do do these things so um a lot of cadence focuses around what you should be doing in the ideal scenario so at day 30 your customer should be at this stage and you should be doing this thing but what do you do when things go wrong? What do you do when your champion leaves? What do you do when the budget gets pulled? What do you do when the business is going bankrupt? What do you do when you've missed a deadline? We focus heavily on ensuring that we have guidance for the team on what to do in those scenarios. And that guidance isn't cookie cutter from what you can download from Gain Insight. It's based on deals that we have retained, deals that we have lost along the way, and what we've what we've learned to, to work in those scenarios
1: so for, for anyone that's potentially listening to this and wanting to sort of grow their career and get into like a cs leadership position are they the things that you would recommend focusing on uh, to try and like better their career and, and to like, are these the things that you get asked about regularly from the c-suite are these the things that um, like these are the main challenges that if you want to be a leader in cs you need to develop answers to and create those playbooks that you were talking about
2: yeah. You, you need to know the basics, like you need to know the reasons why customers stay and why they leave. And then you need to have a plan. Plan doesn't always have to work. That's why it's a plan. Right. But you, and, and it's never finished. It's, um, it's iterative. You need to constantly assess and, and, and add to it along the way, but you have to have a plan. Um, so getting the data set is, is super important. Reviewing that case, that data, we like to do it on a quarterly basis. Um, but if you can find a way to automate it and come up with your own predictions along the way, that's super helpful. Um I think you know, the C-suite and any board of directors is going to know that you will lose customers. It's not ideal, but it happens. So for as long as it happens, you need to obsess about the reasons why.
0: I love that. I think again, a lot of companies probably have the opposite view in terms of they may obsess about losing customers and not necessarily just being a little bit more chilled with that, knowing that it's going to be, you know, it will happen um, for multiple reasons. But then like you say, actually obsessing about, well, why did it happen? And what can we do to prevent it from happening? Um, It's nice to flip that around, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a channel analysis piece, piece which is reactive. Like at this point, you're telling the business, if we put more investment in this area, which is, which has caused this amount of churn. We know that we could avoid this amount of churn from happening again, and you can start to put a value towards getting that feature pushed up the roadmap or changing the way that that process is run. Like we've been able to make a lot of innovative changes in our price book, in our product, from taking that approach. What is the reason for churn? How much would it cost to fix it versus how much would it cost if we can you know, save these customers? How much, are we, how much do we stand to lose by not fixing it? That's a really important conversation to have with the board and with the C-level. With the actual team on the ground, the CS team, it's more, in this scenario, did you try this thing? It's more proactive experience recovery. So trying to avoid it getting to the churn stage, obvious, it sounds obvious, but um, that's really important. And one of the things that I, I implore the team to do is to tell me what's missing from that playbook right mm-hmm. i want to know what situation we've never faced before i want to know what they've tried to creatively do and how it worked, so that i can take what they've done really well and give it to someone who's three thousand miles away of working with a completely different set of customers
0: that's great it reminds me of a book actually i can't remember the name of the book but it was referencing airlines and and how they're obviously one of the safest methods of, of kind of transportation and a big reason for it is whenever there's an accident they'll do that post analysis and go through every single detail to work out why that happened, document it to make sure that people learn it and it doesn't happen again. And it sounds like just through that post analysis, you're able to continuously build out that knowledge and and share that with with everyone else. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really great. I'm going to certainly still that and try and do something similar yeah. <laughs> in my role. Yeah. Um, like, it's almost just like... You,
2: you, you don't need a fancy tool like Gainsight to... Yeah. to uh, you know, Gainsight's helpful because it allows you to automate it and operationalize it. Um, but the real the, 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 the real crux of Gainsight being powerful or any tool like Gainsight being powerful is just having the right guidance in it. And that that can be done internally. You don't need a software to help with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing as well is just sitting there and just asking those questions yourself and just documenting it and coming up with hundreds and hundreds of questions and then thinking about how can I answer that? What's the best possible way? And, and build it from there like you said you started with an excel sheet many years ago and then it's now developed into obviously gain and further integrations to come so
2: yeah yeah totally and you know i think we've talked a lot about obsessing about the reasons why um customers leave but it's also important to talk about why things go really well mm. <laughs> um so it's a mixture of the wins and learns and and spending equal time on both um we spend a lot of time you know running awards for the team um ensuring that the team are encouraged to bring back their success stories not just through case studies which is the ultimate success story but through anecdotes um and other kind of things like the more you can celebrate your success along the way the more success you'll get
0: perfect so um something we'd, we'd love to ask you about is with regards to cs and, and how you've probably seen it evolve where do you where do you see it going in the future are there any particular trends that you foresee
2: yeah um i think there's a lot of opportunity for customer success to merge more with customer experience so for me like i know a lot about customer experience because our customers buy us to improve their own experiences right um But I'm also fascinated with a lot of the measurements that customer experience utilize and probably, you know, the most well-known is MPS, but everybody also knows that MPS is prone to its own issues with sample bias and so forth. So I feel like a lot of CS metrics could go into the CX arena. Um, But I think whereas customer experience is an established, an established area customer success is still pretty pretty new so I think there's um, a big merge that will happen in the next couple of years between customer success and, and customer experience and bringing those departments closer together I feel like customer experience departments are just isolated right now in, in most of the companies that we work with um, and um, yeah I think there's a big opportunity for 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 more um more exposure to CS metrics. I also think the relationship between customer success and product is going to overtake the relationship between sales and marketing for most businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we all know that subscription services are on the up and up. People don't own stuff as, as much as they used to. So the importance of having a great product um, and ensuring that people don't leave that product because it's easier to to switch products is really important and it's less about the money you spend on marketing that will fuel sales and more about the time that you spend in getting the product right and servicing the product that will fuel growth of the business and then the last thing I would say is what we already talked about so how customer success teams can provide that on-site experience online
0: amazing yeah i love the one about products and cs i've kind of becoming the new sales and marketing like probably not something i've like consciously thought about but it's definitely happening in a lot of businesses and a lot of successful businesses as well yeah i imagine you see a good alignment there yeah and i guess it links
1: to the whole sort of solution selling idea doesn't it rather than um kind of one of the things that you were talking about before really but the the people who are on the ground talking to the customers they have the best insight into you know, what features are required, um, which ones are most important and which one should be mm-hmm. like prioritized on the roadmap. So it makes complete sense that that relationship would just, yeah, become stronger.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like the worst thing is if you work in a business where your product team is like just in a completely separate room doing completely separate things, right?
0: Yeah. So,
2: um, <laughs> the more collaboration that CS and product has, the, the faster you can accelerate growth
0: That's great. Um, So the final question actually is, with the success that you've had in in your career so far, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give someone, whether that's looking to to kind of move into a leadership role or just generally to be successful in their their job and to grow and develop? Is there like one bit of advice that you would want to pass on to the listeners? Yeah, I'm going to pass on
1: something
2: that my CRO had told me some time ago but um your success is based on two things performance and temperament right you you have to get your numbers right firstly establish the right numbers but then demolish those goals like overachieve at all costs and then when it comes to the temperament piece you're not always going to be right you're not always going to be able to um do what you think is best but just maintaining the right temperament uh keeping your head right and being positive being solutions focused uh not pointing blame is super super important so yeah success is a mixture of performance and temperament
1: nice i like that it's kind of like a a mix of really high optimistic success method but also like being accepting of like things you'll fail at some things but don't let that stop you from aiming so high.
2: Yeah, I mean there's a lot of like talking in tech around fail fast. Mm-hmm. Like think about like agile development programs, like fail fast and then move on. But um mm-hmm. I think on the commercial side of things, it's not um it's not whether you failed, it's it's what you can apply from from that failure, right? How quickly you can apply it. So if you've got some feedback around what you could have done better, like are you going to take 6 months take that feedback on board or are you immediately going to be a sponge, soak it up, pivot and move on. Um, But you know, that comes back to the focus on performance and temperament, right? You have to let go of your ego. Mm -hmm. You have to focus on performance piece.
0: Absolutely love that. And um, I guess on on that note, thank you so much for, for joining. I could, honestly keep keep going with the questions (laughs) me too such such great advice there and and insights into like how you're building out the the team currently and and running that at decibel so um yeah thank you so much and definitely try and do this again in the future yeah
2: Yeah, totally thanks dan and alex